Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. Andy? Yes, sir. Ahard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, your space is outstanding. <laughs> it's changed a lot since the last time I was down. The art, phenomenal. I know. I'm freaking pumped. I, um, I'm on a quest right now to, to thin down like total archery things around my life that are just 100% archery absorption, like too much in your face, and just try to balance it out with what I like and laugh about and love in life that is in addition to archery and try to combine it. So yeah, that was kind of, you know, this is the knock on version of the Tesseract. It is. Yep. It is. And obviously you got Rogan over there, you know, freaking knock on and they'll soon be his, uh, rival, on that wall, which will be um, Noxilla, which is my bow that will rival Joe's. So, yeah, I mean, if you can picture me on a big black T-Rex. You're going to make that one fire. That's 96 <laughs> pounds rather than 95 It's 100. Pounds. It's is 100 it really? at my draw length. So uh, get some of that, whoever wants to, to come after it. But, yeah, it's, you know. It's it's a beast. But what's crazy is uh, Rogan texted me the other day and said, dude, this is my favorite freaking. He's like, I can't believe how good I can shoot with this freaking bow. I mean, he loves it. And I told him, yeah, I mean, because he really has no issue with the weight. You know, for some people, they just, you know, the weight really isn't an issue. The issue is, you know, like compound bows just aren't necessarily, uh, they're not really made to shoot that kind of, under that kind of stress load for the type of numbers of arrows. So it's just like, okay, what you have to realize is no different than when I supercharged my Gladiator. You didn't supercharge yours. Well, you know, I've got to get the supercharger, you know, cleaned out. Every 3,000 miles, you know, you got to, like, change that oil in the supercharger, too. So it's not like, you know, there's added maintenance to it, right? So it's just like anything. When you decide to choose performance, you're also recognizing string and cables are going to wear sooner. If one's missing a strand, like, don't just tie it off. You know, this isn't, like, 60 or 70 pounds. It's a totally different animal, you know, axles and bearings. And so this is, these are all the reasons why all manufacturers aren't just like throwing these bows out for everybody. Because, you know, if you were to take a crossbow and try to shoot it, never mind, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> True. I said it, but you know what I mean? It's like there's safety factors. Right. So can you with, even tie a regular D loop on something that high? I, I, I was told if you're above 80 or 85, you got to swap some things out. As it yeah. To yeah. So like, um, there are actually a few things that I did different. Like for example, um, on Rogan's, I use a little bit beefier D loop material that I did before. We also added two strands, two strands to a string and cable sets, you know, kind of per my recommendation. 
And then I actually um, opted for an ultra rest for that bow just because of the fact of I didn't want to have any chance of him not like having to manually load that flip that rest up right. where he would either know you know I didn't want him to ever have a chance of shooting it without an arrow in there because at that weight it's like an explosion um, and I also wanted to make sure he never had the chance of like shooting an arrow where it wasn't on the rest right so I made those choices just to try to like reduce possible um, problems, you know, or disasters, I should say. For for a bow like that, is does the technique change? No, I mean you stick to the system. It's just always more. That's kind of what I figured, right? It, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if you're 12 and you've got your new 30 pound bow, or you're mm-hmm. shooting a 100 pound bow. Follow the system. Yeah, yeah. Because whether I'm like shooting Sharon and Harry's bow, or whether I'm shooting my own, the technique's the same, you know. And and yesterday, um, I was working with a guy that was here, and I was shooting his bow for most of the setup time and he was like why why don't you look like my bow is too small for you like do you i thought you would have a way longer draw like than i said i do i just i can shoot small and i can shoot big i said it's an example of technique and when people break down because I shoot a th- almost a 31-inch bow, just shy of 31. That's right. where I feel really comfortable and dynamic. It's where, I, it's where I can pull through my shot and have the leverage I need to to really follow through the way that I need to. Right. The difference is when I'm shooting, and I'm, I'm actually sore today from shooting you know, this 28-and-a-half-inch bow because you know, instead of me shooting like this, I'm shooting like this. So you know, I can... I can change myself three inches from my front shoulder position. Right. But once I do that, it's not correct because now I have to manipulate the release more with my hand. So I'm still getting a surprise shot, but I'm also recruiting. I'm recruiting more muscle to make the shot happen, which is why I'm not as accurate with someone else's bow as my own, but I can definitely sight it in, shoot it. And people ask that all the time. How do you... How are you sending people people's people their bows sighted into a hundred yards? I've always wondered that because it's just the tiniest little change and you know, for me where I'm comfortable, I remember a couple of years ago you're like, you gotta bring your hand up a little bit. You could tell right but to me that just seemed right. Yeah. Everybody's gonna have little nuances like that. Do you get do you ever get a customer that says, Hey John, thanks for building the bow, but I'm way off? Yeah, but if they're off, it's because I need... I'm like, okay, get me a few pictures. Okay. Because the only thing that's going to be problematic is pea pythe. Because, you know, some people just... Their anatomy, they're... You know, some people have big freaking skulls and the distance between their jaw and their, their eye socket. Right. Um, but for the most part, especially once I've worked with someone and I'm looking at... All I'm looking at is lines. So I was telling, I was actually telling this to someone yesterday. So when I'm watching someone shoot, like my mind is, is literally drawing lines on everything about your body. And, and within those lines is a triangle, which is going to be, you know, your string angle. 
So, you know, I'm deciding where that string angle is and if that string angle moves, how it affects the other lines. And so I'll know like, okay, where I have their peep right now, they're making it work, but it also needs to be down a quarter inch and then it's going to change the parallel line on their rear elbow. You know, it's going to change their head position to be able to bring it vertical. So, you know, peep height, yes, there's times where I could build someone a bow and then they're just like, this peep just seems way too high. And so, you know, I tell them, okay, I want your, you know, let me see your anchor position, do it. You know, I want your head vertical. I'll get a couple of videos and I'll be like, yeah, my bad. You're just, you have a dinky head. Sorry. Or in my case, a giant crane. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which works in the other way. Yeah, nine inch peep height knocked to center the peep. (laughs) Yeah, no, it, it. It, it's got Talk closer to the mic. You can get friendly with it. Oh, hello there. See, uh, yeah. It's very nice. It's a little intimidating. <laughs> but uh, I, I would think that there's just so many variables in the physical makeup of people. And the tiniest little change in the grip of the bow is going to have an impact on the draw length. And yeah. But it, what's nice about it, when we just experienced that, um, we're here with one of our mutual buddies, Joe. And... Today, I kind of looked at his setup and just said, like, hey, mind if I polish this up a little bit? And uh, and then I said, let me me shoot it. Yeah, let me shoot it. So I shot it and pretty much got the pin set at 20, 30, 40, 50. And what I was saying is this may like he may have to adjust his gang adjustment up or down, depending on how he frames front sight, rear sight, or he may have to move left or right, you know, depending on eye dominancy, especially grip, facial pressure. Like we haven't addressed any of those yet, Mm -hmm. but for me to do it first, like I know, okay, I'm, you know, without being arrogant, I'm shooting this thing the same as a machine would shoot it. So if there's variable, like if, all of a sudden he's eight inches left of me, I'm going to know, okay, he's either got, you know, front finger grips too tight and he's turning the riser, you know, he's torquing his pin off target. So he's aiming off or facial pressures, you know, he's turning his head too hard into the rear of the arrow and that's forcing, you know, rear arrow, right point left. So by me doing it first, it helps me, know what they're doing wrong in their technique you know just just based off that so i can get it close but from a ballistic point of view the aero ballistics doesn't change you know it's just like if you set up a 300 wind mag with a 180 you know with a 180 nozzler right that whatever scale you make for have for that for zero to a thousand at zero you know sea level it, if I look through it and shoot it and it's different, I might just be addressing the, the scope differently than you. But the I'm just because I'm pulling the trigger, I don't change the ballistic coefficient of what's in that right. casing and that cartridge. And that's the same thing with the bow. If, you know, as long as you're not changing arrows or changing knocks or changing your poundage before you shoot, if you're still pulling it back to the same position as I was when I shot it, if I have a scale that I know with my technique is hitting center at 20, hitting center at 100, if you're struggling with, hey, it works at 20, but at 100, I'm high, but at 50, I'm like way lower than you, then I, I automatically know we need to talk about front sight, rear sight alignment. You know, you're probably 
trying to center pins rather than center housings, you know, you're maybe, you know, centering your target within your peep site rather right. than centering your housing within your pipe peep site. And Just it, drifting out of your peep, the mm-hmm. tiniest. I've really yeah. worked on that over the years. You think about it, you almost think it becomes automatic, but it doesn't. If you really slow down and go through the process and the steps and you see yourself just the tiniest bit out of line, it's noticeable if you're shooting well. Yeah. The other piece where, where I've had some... Get closer. The other one where I've had some, <laughs> had some issues um, is how much tension, like preload, I put on the wall. Oh, yeah. And I, when I get start getting tired, different things like that, the amount of pre-tension I have on the wall, it just it, it throws me off sometimes. Is, that, yeah. is it always the same, or does that what happens vary by shooter? That's the one thing that really separates good compound shooters from horrible compound shooters or great compound shooters because no different than, you know, if you took if you took a clicker away from from Brady Ellison. Mm-hmm. Brady is still going to be an unbelievable recurve shooter, but he's not going to be freaking the robot Brady Ellison, you know. Right. He's um Brady needs to pull to the same position all the time, you know, with that recurve because, you know, he needs the he needs to build to that same wall pressure and then be letting it go. What I found with compound bows is they like a dynamic load, a continual dynamic force pulling against them and they group better even if the front is moving around. It returns to center better. When it's, it's very static, like if I take a hooter shooter and which I've done a ton and draw a bow back and let it sit at full draw without like continually kind of moving that crank ever so slowly. If you just sit in a static position, those strings and cables, you know, as it's a synthetic material, so it has rebound, There's you know, be some play there. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to stretch. Just think of it like a rubber band. If you took a rubber band and you put, you pulled it and you hold it, or if you wrap it around like some arrow shafts and leave it on there for a week and you take it off, it, it doesn't have memory. Now it's elongated, right. you know? So it's like the longer you're just in that static position, you're not taking up that natural slack that that synthetic material is, is having as that tension is loaded on there. And those fibers are like finding a tighter place within themselves. Right. You know? So it's like, if you take someone's braided hair and like, you know, pull it really tight versus like start to have slack as it, you know, as it's statically like creeping down it, you know, it's, it's just way different. If you can continually pull and just keep that tension tight all the time, it's like going to react better. Yeah. It's like, okay, I just started playing a guitar three days ago. Right. It's like, even though I tune that guitar, I'm going to have to tune it again. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm going to, if I take it out in different conditions, you know, if I put a, if I freaking had a capo, I'm assuming, I don't know, but if I put a capo on that thing and left it on there overnight, it'll change something. It's going to, right. So I would assume in the morning I'd come in and be like, well, yeah, I need to freaking tighten this, tighten that and get it back in tune. So it's the same thing. It's just at a very different time scale. 
When is the first Jocko knock on uh, guitar solo going to come Speaking out? In two weeks, baby. Is that going to be ready? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm. I'm kind of worried that the archery community may suffer <laughs> some lack of content for my um, just compulsive behavior of not liking not being good at something. So, yeah, it was, you know, I think like seven hours on Saturday. Um, That's impressive. And then, you know. It, it was one of those deals where it's just like I'm going and, and yesterday uh, I had a buddy over that was like showing me some stuff he's like dude if you know he's like I can't believe you know you're doing that already if you can do that like you could play this song here let me show you and he's like and I'm just like nope and he goes why and I just said I'm just doing drills dude I said you know I'm I process yeah system I took repeatable yeah I took this little beginner course on youtube just like you know what i would what i think people get from like some of the school of knock stuff and i i took pictures of like what i have to do in each of those youtube videos i've taken pictures and i've like wrote on them and so all i'm doing is like looking at my pictures and then trying to find them here so all i'm doing and you know this is me dorking out with guitar so all i'm doing is like looking at these pictures and just running drills of like running these chords and until i can just do that without having to stumble or mess up then in my opinion i'm not ready to go to a new series like you know you're blank bailing the guitar right now yeah, yeah. Doing yep. the exercises yep. to build the foundation for moving forward. I'm trying to get reps. Like, I just know when you were talking about back wall, back wall is one thing that really good archers have honed over hundreds and hundreds of thousands of shots. Mm -hmm. So, like, um, for example, yesterday I got two new bows that we're working on spoiler alert and i pulled each one of them back one time and so when i called the engineer i just said oh on this one so you changed this on the curve and this and he's like yeah yeah exactly exactly he's like do you have an insta on there and i'm like no but i can feel it yeah because i can feel tenths of a pound you know because I can feel every poundage of that draw that draw cycle at every inch that I'm pulling it back. No different than an Instron would map it, you right. know, as it would pull back. So, you know, for someone who's built that mind muscle coordination to where you know that's data coming in, coming in that you can process, right? Then it's awesome. But when people and this this is what sucks about the people that love buying multiple new bows every year. But it's also something that I really like about PSE is that Evolve Cam stayed the same for a long time to where even though people change models, the feel of the cam stayed the same. So it was nice, like if you go to an NTN to the Mach 1, which you have both of those, right. um, even though the the physical weight of the bow and maybe how the bow feels on target and then how it responds, the feedback you get, those are two different things. But 
how that bow feels when you pull it back is very similar. The draw cycle is very, very similar. Depending on length. Like, you know, because one of the things is if by chance on one model, like let's say you have a model that's very different spec wise to where you're in a G position, but then on another model, you're in an A position, it will feel different. It, it feels different. When I first picked that bow up, I was shooting the NTN for quite a while, and then I picked up the Mach, and it, it, it drove me a little bit crazy because it is different. Once I got used to it. Are you shooting 30 and a half? I can't remember. Yeah, 30 and a half. So you're in an A position. Correct. You're in a Mach 1. Yeah, so that's like, technically, that's kind of the most aggressive position of that Evolve cam. That's what it felt like to me when I switched over. It felt a little bit more aggressive. Now it feels very much the same, super smooth. Mm -hmm. But if you've been shooting exclusively that one bow for five or six months and then made the switch... It was noticeable for, I would say, five, six days until I really got comfortable with it. But man, is that a sweet shooting bow. Yeah. Gosh, is it nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped for the future. It's, uh, it's been a really, for me, it's been a perfect rollout, like as a, you know, to be able to, to be able to work with the PSE guys and, you know, they're just, man, they freaking get it done. I've just never seen, I've never seen someone who has like less structure from, you know, I've been places where ERP and, you know, MRP and, you know, you're freaking going through all these like crazy protocols. Right. Right. And everything the like the war meetings the daily meetings the freaking you know presentations like everything you have to go for and then like launch rollouts and like launch rollout preps and like all this stuff but it's just like the you know pse just like hey freaking tell us what you want and we're gonna make it happen it doesn't matter if we have to freaking drive to some dude that we know that you know used to be able to make these parts like we'll get them we'll get them making them again whatever it is like they just they've made the impossible possible multiple times and it's fun because i'll just be like okay well yeah if you want if you're i've always wanted to try this yeah yeah (laughs) it's a hundred percent true it's a hundred percent true i think it's because they're about the bow they're about the bow yeah. and and a lot of people are running businesses and there are business processes w- which are <laughs> counterintuitive you can move that yeah if you want to sit back they're you're like allowed to go wherever you are you know the business process sometimes gets in the way of yeah the r&d mm-hmm. and you know we talked the other day and you said yeah i'm going to get these bows and hopefully i can talk to the engineers well lo and behold today you got the bow and within minutes you were talking to them mm-hmm. they get it yeah they get it so it's i think it's been a fantastic change for you and the products speak for themselves yeah it was pretty awesome because um i mean we're we're a few months in and i'm i'm really 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 excited i mean the hunting community it's it's going to change some things but what's cool is I got it, opened it up, had like opened it up, looked at it. And I was already forming, forming like changes in my mind before I even had to like shoot it. And so, you know, picked up the phone, 
called and you know I'm talking to an engineer and said like hey here's what's up like here's a few red flags you know we need to make sure we pay attention to this in assembly blah 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 but from like a production point of view let's make a few tweaks here 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 and also make note of this he's like yep cool and so I ended up taking another call inbound and said hey let me get this inbound call I gotta go hung up called in to Lonnie okay you know, sure you know called into Lonnie to you know because I wanted now I wanted to I wanted to let you know the leader of you know those teams um, to kind of know hey I did get them I, and I also this was my feedback just so that there was like two sources of communication to where you know if someone said something in, in an internal meeting that at least there was someone else there to say like, well, I don't know if I heard it that way. So I kind of wanted to parallel the conversation and, you know, Lonnie was like, yeah, uh, we already, we talked a couple minutes ago and you know, you had this, 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 this. And he's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're on this, that, uh, made note of this, talk to that guy. And I'm just like, okay, damn, you guys got it. They've got it. They've got a really great team. I've, had the good pleasure to work with them on a couple of projects and their responsiveness they're on the wall they're they're solid and i love i honestly just love like the freaking you know the bulldog pete just still being in there like freaking you know he's gonna take anybody on freaking one-on-one so you know if you've got something where you're like hey i think this is it he's just like we're doing it that's awesome and i i kind of like It'd be cool if you could like rewind time. It'd be cool to see Pete like back in the day. I think he would. I think he'd ruffle some feathers like at shoots and stuff because it, you know I think he's he had to have been competitive that way. Oh, but, I'm sure. but in the same sense, like you know, they made some freaking cool things because of it. So and and I feel like I missed. I honestly feel like. The hard, the hard thing about um, being, I'm going to say internal, like for the listeners out there, because my, my first job was, my first job in the archery world, I think that's, well, no, because I, I worked at a shop, then I owned a, sh- owned a shop for a short period of time, then wor- went to work for Matthews, and then was there 10 years, then literally went out on my own, but worked directly under the vice president of Hoyt. So, um, you know, I was tight there and then obviously now, you know, but the, the point is when you're internal, it's kind of hard to, to see what everybody else is doing. Cause you're very focused on like what your battle plan is and you're reacting to, you're reacting to a move that your competitor made. Right. You're not necessarily like we would, no matter who I worked for, we would always get a competitor's product and try it. And honestly, um, and I can't say that about this year if I'm truthful, but up until up until this year, like even Matthews would still send me equipment just to set up and shoot, and I could I could re- reply to feedback. You know, people that asked me like, "Hey, they value I, your feedback yeah, yeah, for sure." Yeah, and it was it was cool just to be able to respond to our consumers of, you know, Hey, I'm trying to put this on a new, you know, whatever. 
what's your experience with it? And I could answer like, hey, yeah, I, I did shoot that a little bit. You know, it is a little bit different. Here's a couple things to look for. And it was pretty awesome. But as an internal person, you don't always get to really know the nuances of what a competitor's like new technology is. Like you don't know the ins and outs of it. And I unfortunately came into PSC and there's a lot of ideas that I've had of like, I want to do this. And they're like, well, we've, we freaking did that or we tried that. And then they'll, you know, we'll go back in the freaking museum and then it's just like, okay, this is like, a per- not? this is a perfect start. Like why, why, like, where did this go? Well, I don't know. We just never really kind of, you know, the reps never got it or we never really talked about it the right way or, you know, it didn't work with that cam system, but truthfully it would be perfect for this cam system. Right. So, um, there's just a whole bunch of cool stuff like that, that I'm getting, I'm actually getting my eyes opened and I'm having a lot of fun right now because I feel like I've, you know, kind of just triggered new, like a new cognitive thing, which I always loved doing for, you know, I was with, Carter forever, right? I was honestly with Sherlock forever. Right. I've been with a lot of people for a long time because I was able to always have feedback, and I love that. So it's cool that— I think that's one of the big hunks of value that you bring to the relationship, right? You're not just a very talented shooter, but you go deep, deep down the rabbit hole on the engineering of the components and the fit of the components and the functionality of the components— I I was wondering, you know, you were talking about the inside versus outside component of the business. Have you run over the years into, you know, there's a certain bit of ego with the internal designers that are coming up with some of these ideas. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, (laughs) your idea is fantastic, but this tweak would be outstanding. Have you hit roadblocks there just because it's an ego play? Yeah, sure, because... Honestly, there's freaking ridiculous engineers that aren't diehard hunters. And there's there's ridiculously good target archers that are engineers, but they're also not creative engineers. They're like, you know, I don't feel like, like there's certain people, for example, I say it would be really cool if there was a way to, to allow, you know, a cable guard to do this. Right. And there's also people that are like, well, yeah, we could probably make that happen because, you know, in the mountain bike world, there's actually like a pivot system, you know, and this is, I'm totally talking hypothetical, but, you know, there's a pivot system on the frame, which kind of is in charge of holding the same kind of dynamic force. So, you know, we could... And then it's awesome to have that outside perspective. But sometimes you're trying to tell them like, hey, you know, bring a cool idea and then they bring it. And then you're like, you would never do that as a hunter. It's like a good idea, but it's also like it needs to be in a video game or something. It's not like practical. So, yeah, there's times where you shut stuff down because from a hunting world, once you include like grit and grime, it's not going to, it's not going to function. It's going to need like continual maintenance or it's going to be a nightmare. 
And if someone doesn't do it all the time, it's really hard. You know, that's where you kind of hit the headbutt sometimes. It's awful. It's still amazing to me, though, how well, you know, I spent some time out in Utah elk hunting last year and then spent a lot of time hunting Wisconsin. And, you know, your bows go through. I don't have a dozen of them, but I've got a few Mm -hmm. bows that I like to a couple of them that I like to shoot. It's amazing how well they stay in tune and how well you know it seems even it wasn't five or that six, way 10 years ago yeah Am five I or like six wrong? years ago i yeah. used to have to bring it in that's one of the things when you and i first met it used to bother me having to run into the shop constantly mm-hmm. to get things fixed and it it just seems like the stability of the entire platform has improved everything's gotten better but i've also wondered you know is it is it that everything got better or is it that people have learned to set them up better, you know, or, you know, I don't know. I don't like from a material point of view, the one thing that's going to move the most out of in a piece of archer equipment, bow and arrow is going to be the strings and cables. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's certainly crummy ones out there. There's certainly, you know, better ones out there. And those materials, depending on the material you pick, they do move, but there hasn't been this huge change in material that's going on a bow. You know, there's a way of, of like making it, but the, the fibers themselves, they haven't like, they haven't changed much, but they're definitely, you know, I don't, I guess I just, I don't know if like, because bows have way less vibration now than what they did at one time. Cause I mean, they used to be very like thrust worthy, right? You know, it like everybody had a sling because you <laughs> yeah. needed it. It's not because they look cool and your shop can make an extra 15 bucks off you. You needed it. Yeah. It's like that thing would freaking launch out and roll across the ground if you didn't have it, a sling on. And it's amazing from one year to the next, I was shooting a different brand bow and then you built that ntn for me and i remember i came down to see you and i really liked the other bow i was perfectly happy with it it was great shooting bow and then i shot the ntn and i think i built the other one for you didn't i i think you did yeah you rebuilt it for me because yep. i came down and i'm and like it was, dude, all it, it was cool it right. yeah i'm like i'm like i'm like, it, I'm like hey it's a good bow you know i'm gonna keep one of mine just in case, you know, my freaking second parachute. However, give this a try. Yeah. I've been impressed. It was, I had an aha moment over at your school that first shot. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Things have changed a little bit. So it, yeah, it's amazing. You can feel it from brand to brand. You can feel it from, you know, year to year. So it, yeah. it's, it's an exciting, exciting future for archery for sure. Well, you asked me today, you said, um, out of everything you've ever shot, what, you know, what's your, what do you think is your best shooting bow? I think you, didn't you ask me? I did. I did. You're out shooting. And I just said, the one I'm shooting right now, dude, like, honestly, it would, I've, I thought about it the other day. It's like, I wondered if I took some of the same parts off, like the best scoring bow I ever had was my original. I had three apexes that I made as triplets. They all came out of the same machine on from the same billet. And all the strings were made off the same spool of string. Cams were all out of the same block. I mean, I watched them happen, sent them all to the anodizer. Like, I was internal, so I had that, you know, luxury. But I made 
full triplets, right? Like a hundred percent triplets. And that was the best scoring bows that I had ever shot as a series. Um, no, just like when I look at the scores that I posted during the, that two year span of time, it's the highest scores I've ever posted in competition. But there's like variables to that because at that time I certainly was training more than I've ever trained. And I had spent at that time, like a decade behind a certain, you know, behind a single cam. Right. So this, this comes back to like muscle memory. I don't really know how I would shoot a Matthews right now because it's not even the same thing. Right. You know, the, a Matthews right now is a Matthews that I saw in the shooting. In you know, I remember when Matt brought the first dual perimeter weighted freaking. Uh, it was a it was a two it was a it was a bow that we made with two max cams that were made as a, a two cam bow, and it was essentially the monster. Okay, and and I remember saying like, "What is that?" And he's like, "Well, I mean, if I were to do a two cam bow, I would do that." And I remember saying like, "You know, how, can I shoot it?" And he's like, "You can, but like right now, it's a monster." Okay. And like that, that, that's what, and I mean, that was late nineties. Did they make a target? They make it a target bow version of that as well. Um, eventually they did. I think they did. I think so, but I'm not like, I'm honestly not that familiar. Like once, you know, I was, I was totally focused on a cam and a half system and worrying about that, you know, by that point in time. But from a single cam point of view, um, I actually really loved this, how the single cam felt, and it was it allowed me to shoot my style, which was not, I'm not a demanding shot. I don't like demanding cams, and I shouldn't say I don't like them, but I don't shoot them enough. Like I transition a lot between a target bow, and then I spend a lot of time hunting. So I'm not like an average target archer. A lot of target archers will shoot target the mass majority of the year 70 80 percent of the year they're shooting target they may go hunting a time or two but there's not a lot of true like crossovers right to where like for me hunting was definitely the majority of the target i shot target to be a better bow hunter right you know and i was better bow hunter because i was a target archer that i mean that's a hundred percent accurate so when I would pick up a target bow that had a very demanding cam coming from bow hunting the month before that, where I wanted to be able to pull a bow back slow, Whoa. stay at full draw for freaking three minutes. If that's how long the, you know, that buck was freaking locked on to me, staring at me. Um, once I went to those more aggressive cams, they were just taking it away from me. And it didn't shoot because I'm not a static holder, aim, make the shot happen. Like when my front shoulder wasn't in shape and it would start creeping, you know, if I had a freaking uh, spiral cam system, it would just eat my lunch. Right. You know, because as I collapsed, it was just like freaking let me have it. Is, it, is it an issue of, of the aggressive nature where it's just a, a, a harder or, or a higher hold? Or is it just the total functionality of it? Well, it's like um, 
like with the cams that we're both shooting right now, you can pull them back. And honestly, you know, I feel like I could have a sandwich. Yeah. Hold them forever for sure. Yeah. I could, I could be back there and hold a sandwich. Now, um, from a target archery point of view, and actually right now, even on my personal bows with the Evolve cams, with the EC cams, I've actually got them, instead of them being on the 90% position, I've got, I've got them extended all the way out. So they're actually, you know, on the 80% mm-hmm. in the high let off mod. And I feel like it's the perfect, one, it's legal in all states. But two, um, it's like the perfect hybrid for me to like, if I shoot it enough, I don't like, I'm not as lazy as that 90% let off can let you be. Um, But I also feel like it, you know, when I like, it's kind of, it's like lock time. So when your release breaks, if you have a super high let off bow, there's like a lock time where that string is still within, you know, an area of your face as that cam is ramping up before it's taking away. So if you're not in practice and you're making, you know, especially if you have facial pressure, right. it's going to magnify because that lock time's higher. So that's why for target archers, they're trying to have a very short lock time. So they're shooting a very low let off cam. However, because they're shooting a lower let off cam, they can't hold the weight at the weight that we're shooting. So a lot of times you'll notice that they're shooting less weight but also with a lower let off. So their their overall holding weight might be the same as if they were bow hunting. But they're shooting okay. a lighter bow. But they're able to have a shorter lock time because of that that lower let off, you know, right. for when the when the release actually breaks. But all that stuff like to learn that is just time like a lot of freaking time a lot of reps yeah that you know i love to shoot and i shoot a fair amount but i couldn't tell you i couldn't feel those minute differences that you feel i just i wouldn't do you know i can tell this bow's a hell of a lot heavier than that one or, or boy that's a little bit more aggressive and you get used to it and then it's just fine but you know it's like you taking a bow and looking at it and saying, well, this is out of whack and that's out well, of whack. Well, hey, a buddy of mine, Reps. a buddy of mine, Wes, is like, it, it's actually really cool because there's like a side of me that really is like fascinated with, um, well, I'm a projectile enthusiast. Right. Like that's freaking, that's Evan's trademark, right? That's so, right. So, and, and it's such a perfect saying because I do like, even though I'm not a, you know, a gun hunter or like public about guns. I freaking love guns. And, you know, there's a freaking legit place, Rogue Tactical down in Houston that freaking dials in super, super legit custom setups. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I've got some, yeah. you know, I've got some and it's rare that you would see it, but I've got them. So, right. Uh, yeah, you know, my, if I want to know anything like about anything, just name it about like, you know, ammunition or a freaking aiming reticle or like, Hey, why are someone using this lever on the back of this? Like he's freaking on it. But then he also freaking jams on guitar. So like I was showing him this note and I said, dude, this freaking this chord is tough right and he just right away is like pressing too hard try 
try to do it again, but don't press hard on the ring finger. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, thanks. It's th- that level of experience. That's, yeah. It's, th- yeah. It's, that's what's so great. Because he just knew the string, knew the fret, knew what you can do that string in that fret like based on where it was he's like yeah it, like it's so far out like you're not having to press that hard so because he's done it a million a, times yeah a trillion probably right and i think that's one of the things that's so great about the you know the knock on nation and, and the community that you and sharon have built there's a lot of people that have really unique talents in right and whether it's archery, uh, cooking, everything else, you know, you're at the top of the uh, of, of the organization and you're so generous with your time and sharing these things. But what I found really amazing is the people within the organization that get to know each other and build friendships. They're constantly helping each other out. It doesn't matter. I mean, it was funny. I was building a deck this summer, and one of the guys in the nation is a deck builder out in Nebraska. And I'm like, called him. I said, I think I'm getting screwed on my bids. <laughs> and he's like, you are getting screwed on your bids. It's re- but it's an interesting community. Dude, I, I wish so we could cool. sign up. Like, honestly, I, f- I feel like we should. We need to have a spot where people could sign up and, like, put in what their, like, what their trade is mm-hmm. and what they're good at. Because, you know, if freaking all hell breaks, breaks loose, like, we could freaking, the knock-on nation could, like, run a town somewhere. It's a powerful I'll, force. I'll guarantee it. Is it is a powerful force. And, it really is. And honestly, I never even introduced you, but so, for those of you listening, Andy freaking reached out in a DM, like, how long ago was it? Three and a half, four years, maybe? Yeah, and I, you know, and I... It was. I think the reason you said you're like, do you still hot tub? Because I think I like told you like, hey, dude, you said like, thanks for replying. And I said, yeah, I mean, I hot tub in the morning, you know, to try to get loosened up. And I reply to DMs when I'm in the hot tub, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so we started talking and ended up becoming like awesome friends. And you came out to like the very first uh, knock on experience out in Park City. Um, which you're coming to again. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and you're, uh, what, four hours away? Yeah, four hours up in the cities. So a couple times a year we see each other, you know, we, Fantastic. we hook up. And yeah. you called me when you saw I got a Gladiator, and you're like, hey, you know, my boy's looking to get a cheap Cherokee. What do you think? And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> yeah. let's freaking pull back on that and dude. let me introduce you to, like, Bo down here at freaking Southtown. He's, they he's good care of me. They're freaking legit. Twice. Yeah, they're free. Yeah, now you've got one, yeah. which which you did in in true dad fashion, like let you know, let your boy know, like who is going to have the better ride. <laughs> yeah, but but he's every day. It's something new. I mean, he makes money; it goes into his jeep. But he's having a great time with it. What are you going to do? He works hard. He's got great grades. What are you going to do? Let him let him have a good time. But yeah, I bought it for him. And what I was your high school it. car? Well, uh, uh, none. So what happened Dang. is I wanted to go buy a car in high school. So I'm a little older than you. I graduated high school in 87. Okay. And I wanted to buy a car because I was always employed, always working for my parents' business, grandfather's business. So I had a little bit of money in my pocket. And my parents are like, nope, 
you're going to put that away for school. You will not have a car. And then my dad came home with like, so this would have been 84, 85 with like a early 70s wood paneled Griswold wagon. Hell yeah. That thing's, dude, I'd buy that right now just to roll in that it's, it, it was nicknamed Spot because of the rust spots. Oh, and I meant for the oil patch. In yeah, the yeah, there was some of that too. It it became iconic in the high school. It was actually really funny. Buddies would borrow it, and you know we do what we did. It was it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that. Was, was it a full like wagon? Oh, you could have slept in the way way back. Did it have that little fold up section where it you did. could drop your feet in there if you sat like in that little freaking half ass bench seat? Yeah, <laughs> it had that. Dude, it did. It was that was brown, a shagging though. wagon, bro. That was I'm not f- going to comment <laughs> on that, but freaking you're thinking bag, outdoor yeah. movie theater yeah dang the yeah. drive-in yeah there it was uh if, great you're if, dating andy yeah is that the guy with the freaking yeah. Griswold not something mobile? to come walking <laughs> driving into your girlfriend's driveway with for sure <laughs> unless uh you're freaking uh freaking uh russo from karate kid unless his mom's in there like waving it yeah <laughs> it was it was classic and you know what was great about it you do stupid stuff when you're 16 you, you maybe bump into that pole yeah, you move on. Dude, you're that fine. bump a bumper in the eighties, like Steel. freaking how was the pole, bro? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For but. sure. So yeah, no, it was uh, to this day, Jake told me he said, Say hi to John and tell him thanks for talking you into getting me a gladiator. I'm like, he didn't really talk me into it, but <laughs> it's pretty sweet. So he's a happy kid. Yeah, you guys did a, was it your Christmas card where it was both of you with your freaking gladdies? Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> wife's like, I've got an idea. She put us down on the lake and the dog was up on the back. I was like, it was what? Cool. It was so legit that your wife like thought that was going to be cool. Yeah, she's she's into it. But I mean, that's how you get your kids to do a Christmas card. Yeah. I mean, good for her for thinking ahead. Yeah, no, it, it, it's been great. It's been great. So now, of course, I got to treat my kids the same. I've got a... What was your first ride that you were proud of then? You know, what's interesting, I didn't own my first car that I went out and bought until I spent some time in the military, got out, did undergrad, went to law school, and it wasn't until I finished law school and had my first job that I went and bought a car. (laughs) What was it, dude? I think I had the first, when Mercedes came out with their ML320, their little SUV. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. happened to have one of the... I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. I was one of the first to get that. Dude, so, that, so I'm going to ask you about this because I was like... How old were you at that time? 24, 25? Uh, when I graduated law school? Yeah, when was that? So let's see. I got out of the military at 20, 29. I was probably 31, oh, 32. You went late. Because yeah. I remember... Um, and maybe I don't, maybe I'm getting the time wrong, but I remember specifically like getting this flyer, this uh, thing in the mail for that Mercedes SUV. And it was like, we're thinking about bringing this out. And dude, I, I pre-ordered. Know, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I signed up to like win a Mercedes at like an airport or something. Cause I'm wondering why am I even freaking, why I'm even on this list. Sure. And it was like, here's what it is. And you could like, I think you kind of like told them like what you liked or disliked and then mailed that little card back. 
What I remember is was that right? we there was a card, and I'll never forget. So I remember like this is at least a hundred times over my pay grade, <laughs> right? But here I'm you not are saying asking. I could afford it. I yeah. just happened to have bought it at the time. <laughs> but the the what I've I've remember very clearly. There was a little flyer piece that came, and they showed one that was maroon, and there were literally no options. And then they're like, put X dollars down. We hope to have a delivery in 18 months or something like, what Dude, could go wrong? Good for them. You fund me 19 freaking 97 or whenever we did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were way ahead of their time. Yeah. No. Dude, I saw one of those. I honestly, and I still like, I, th- when I see one of those on the road, I think about like how I got on this consumer mailing program of like, at what point someone thought I was going to buy a Mercedes freaking SUV. Somebody sold your name. Someone sold sold my name straight up. But I remember seeing one of those the other day, like after the sun's like been on it for like that first generation of Mercedes SUV. And I'm like, this thing looks like a legit piece of junk. Right yeah, it, they've come a long way. They've come a long way. They're, they're, it was fun, though. They're, they're great cars. They're great cars. Jocko's a Mercedes person. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's got like a, you know, one of the SUVs. I mean, he doesn't drive like new flashy rides. Like his, you know, has a bunch of like sand in it and freaking protein powder all over the place <laughs> and crap. But a key in the back. Yeah, it's like never been washed. Uh, but you know, he's got that in a sprinter van. That's also, you know, every kind of snack is in, in like in a seat somewhere. And yeah. Right. Unless Helen just says like that car's nasty. We need to clean it. Let me rephrase that. I'm going to go clean it. Uh, yeah. If it's anything like my family, she has a highly or a vastly different meaning for what is and is not clean than my wife and I do. Oh, She'll go in my yeah. car. Yesterday she came in, moved my car. She's digging around and digging around. I'm like, what are you doing? You're parking my car. And she's like, don't ask questions. I'm cleaning up. I'm like, all right, knock yourself <laughs> out. Do whatever you need to do. Yeah, I'll clean. And in my mind, I'm you know when a lot of people see me do stuff, they're like, dang, bro, you're taking a little extreme. Then Sharon comes in. She's like, this isn't clean. This is like tidied up. It's, yeah, there's different levels in anything (laughs) and everything we do. Yeah, and then it's like pretty much like you could freaking eat off anything, you know, in there by the time, you know, the Shaz cleaning crew comes in. That's after it. It's exactly how it is at our place. She always says, you I get that it may be annoying to the people that are in the house that things are constantly having to be so clean, but spend some time in someone's house where it's not this clean. Yeah. And you're, you're going to appreciate me. So yeah, (laughs) I, yeah, it's, it's the way to do it for sure. I'm just like, Hey, do your thing, but can you run the vacuum? Like either before or after I'm going to jam on this guitar for seven hours. <laughs> that's, that's going to, if you're going to go deep down that rabbit oh, hole, yeah, it's, something's going to have to give, you know, the archery community may suffer just a tiny bit. I'm trying to think what I can give back. I'd probably give, honestly, I'd probably give training time. I would just trade training for training would be something. Yeah. Yep. That would be my training. How long before you're at Wes's? Just I could see you two hold up for like days. He's coming in August. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is like if I told Wes like let's jam, I might as well 
I mean, it'd be like, I don't know, it'd be like me going down to the, I don't know, like the 4-H club down the road and just seeing some kid in there and just that, like, got his first plastic bow at Walmart and be like, you want to go shoot for a while? <laughs> if I did it with Wes, it would just, it would be at a level to where he'd be like, dude, just watch YouTube for a year and then let's freaking hook up so we can get So, it. I mean, he's top shelf. Yeah, 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 he's... I haven't heard him play. I haven't heard him play yet. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like he's going to just go out and play, but yeah, there was a time where he just, he knows that. He goes deep down the rabbit holes, too. Right. I mean, he goes, he, I don't know how deep down the YouTube hole he's been in his life on a number of subjects but it's definitely in another galaxy <laughs> than what i freaking know of for youtube yeah. yeah there are people like that it's a time it's all time yeah it's been so fun um at events where we've met like other people from the knock-on community because i just lo- like to me what i'm loving about every second about our brand right now is that we are connected to like grassroots people like you said like well i look back at like the brad of all brads right freaking you know i was like sharing his stuff because it was cracking me up right this is back in the day and freaking dayton holloway walks into a gymnasium at like one of their daughter's basketball games or something and like sees him and just goes Brad of all Brad's and you know Brad hadn't told his wife yet that he had this alias on freaking <laughs> incognito <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he was kind of you know it was kind of like uh, the godfather and freaking um, uh, old school right you know where he's just kind of like Shh. <laughs> you know like I'm not the, just Brad just but Brad it, <laughs> it's interesting it goes really deep and it's you know they're the people that you see online but I, I'm up in Minneapolis and I've got a knock-on sticker in the back of my truck you don't I bet you weekly I'm cruising down the highway and somebody pulls up next to me and they're like knock on <laughs> and just you know the sticker on the back it's everywhere it's really really cool yeah that it's, is cool it's neat and and we put one if you yeah you put you put one on Jake's truck last year and he gets it all the time so that's awesome it's really neat yeah it's, we need to make him a blue one a he talked about that. Let's not. I like. Let's keep the brand. I like. <laughs> let's not change up the the goodwill and the brand because my kid wants a blue sticker. That may be going over the top just a little I bit. I know, but dude, think of how cool he'd be if someone's like, "How'd you get the blue one?" Well, I know him. Oh what? well, that that's come out. It's you know we spend a lot of time at where we are. There's really nice facilities in Minneapolis for archery. There's yeah. out, really cool outdoor. Um, uh, really cool outdoor ranges. You, you know, you kind of walk through like you're at a, on a golf course, and you go through like a mini tack. Yeah, is really what yep. it is. And and my boys spent a lot of time up there, and and we were doing something. And Jake is now shooting that that carbon mock, and uh, like, oh, I didn't know that th- these come in all black. I thought they only came in the green with the. It was like, oh, my dad. Uh, my dad knows uh, John you know knows something yeah and I'm like oh god here we go <laughs> here we go kid yeah it's well, good fun I would have I would have milked that out way harder than that though too 
Like, he's a good kid. Who knows what he's saying when I'm not there? Yeah, I hope he is. Yeah, you I know. know. I hope he is. They're both into it, and I have to say, they're the. I've been really lucky that, you know, my two little guys, I've got a 17-year-old Jake, 13-year-old Grant, they are deep down the hole. They just love archery. What got you into it? Like, where did it start for you? Um, when I was a young kid maybe 12 or 13 my stepdad was hunter extraordinaire he was on the wisconsin game congress he was hardcore hardcore hunter really yeah where was he based out of uh janesville wisconsin oh really okay and uh, was he part of that archery club there there's janesville bowman there yep Uh, if i remember he would shoot there occasionally i'm not sure if he was a member of the club but he was one of his passion in life was to introduce new hunters that was just his thing. So I was an unsuccessful bow hunter forever. We did primarily gun hunting, but at an early age, I got bows and loved it. I mean, I took, you know, two-inch styrofoam, uh, rigid styrofoam insulation and, and duct tape block targets back when I was a kid and would just shoot for hours and hours. We didn't have real great access to land, yeah. Um, but I shot constantly and just, you know, self-taught. Uh, but and then when I went to college it kind of stopped uh, law school when I was out in Washington D.C. it didn't re- there's just not as many yeah. opportunities there but when I moved back to the Midwest uh, in about 04 uh, 2004 I remember my first year I uh, got a nice extra bonus and I'm like I'm going to buy another bow this is a great opportunity and since where then, were you then Minneapolis oh you were in Minneapolis yeah so yeah. what'd you buy um, I went to the local shop the first one I bought was a Matthews Reason who was it it uh, there was a shop up in the Maple Grove Minnesota here called yep. Archery Specialists mm-hmm. yep and that, yeah. yeah that's where I bought it and worked with those guys good group of people really lucky great community up in the Minneapolis area yeah the reason I think would have been after 04 I think the re- well, maybe it was seven. It, you know, it could be. I moved to the cities in '04. It might have been a year or two. My yeah. son was born, but the reason that was the year I got my first okay. bow again. Yep. And uh, yeah, it it I hunted a lot. My folks had really good hunting land down in southern Wisconsin. I just wasn't successful, you know. And I didn't shoot my first animal with a bow until I was forty years old. Oh, man. So for me, it's relatively, I mean, since then I've been on a tear. Yeah. But um, for years and years, it it was just tough luck. That's legit, too, because there's so many people out there that are, like, finding archery later in life. And it's almost cool that you can experience. What's cool about it is you're at a place in your life where you actually aren't, like, super struggling hopefully right whereas you know for me you know when someone said like hey i'm gonna go hunt pike county illinois during the rut and you're like how much you know what's that like and they're like well it's 1500 bucks you know this is going back in sure two, two decades yeah and you're like what you're paying 1500 bucks to shoot a deer yeah you know and whereas now like you know a good deer hunt you know unless you've unless you've done your due diligence like you're gonna have that much invested right so um it's cool that you're at a spot where you have the ability to like do some of the cooler stuff like when you want to do it technically 
Yeah, it's you know the battle is always is a time and 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 but, you're in awesome shape, dude. Like I'm you for know, an old guy. Yeah, but when we first met, you were right at two fifty, right? Two forty. The first time so, two forty eight, two forty nine. Yeah. Where was the first time we ever like actually officially met? Was it in Salt Lake? Turkey hunt here when Barklow was here, West was here, Andy came down. My dad. Your dad was here. <laughs> <laughs> Remember we podcasted with your dad. Oh, that's the, right. Up front. Oh, damn. Childhood, childhood story time with the uh, with your dad. Yeah. Me making. Freaking making those bills, dude. <laughs> Hustling. Candy hustle. Yeah, because, oh, that's right, because I forgot. Um, you freaking knew nerds. Yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. We were trying to see if nerds we could get some green. Nerds were a high-profit item, dude. That's like clover seed. Yeah. It, that's clover seed in a way smaller box. Yeah. It's, you uh, could take nerds and bust those things up, you know, handful handful at a time for a freaking quarter and you could you, you know you could quadruple your money in 15, easily 15 minutes on the playground that's yeah <laughs> it's it's it uh wonder what the kids are doing now it's still <laughs> let me just tell you it's not going to be nerds yeah exactly right i'm i i, I don't want to really know i think i don't want yeah the i'm not to my going own question there. I did nerds and I'm, and I turned out all right, kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is a, what is a good Wisconsin, Illinois deer? You know, I, I've got a little place of my own, so I'm very fortunate. I don't I'm know. What buying. would it be like to go to like Tom Enderbo's now? I have no idea. In like Buffalo County, right? Three grand, four grand. I don't know. I'm guessing. I have no idea. I would guess that too. Yeah. I mean, inflation is, inflation's a bitch. Right. Yeah, everything, yeah, everything gets a little bit more expensive, but yeah, imagine like going there and there's you know dudes paying like four grand, and they're like, and you just say, yeah, I came here, and I used to pay fifteen hundred bucks. You see it already. I've only yeah. been going out west for three years, elk hunting. Yep, and every year, <laughs> and people are saying, I used to not pay nothing, right, to freaking you know get a tag here or trespass through here or whatever like but it's so nice now and look i <laughs> i appreciate we're really lucky we're very very fortunate there's we're blessed there's no question about that you know when i was younger we used to hunt in northern wisconsin over by peshtigo area marinette county up in, uh, i don't think i've ever been up there north of green bay okay up wait in, in upper northeast North, you said. That's why you said Wisconsin. Did yeah. you say Minnesota? You no, said Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, northeast Wisconsin. So, app, you go up uh, Oshkosh, Green Bay, right before like the UP. Then correct. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I grew up hunting with my stepdad on public land, and that's super big woods, super huge big woods, and you know like this you're was in a bag of apples exactly. at the freaking general store, and right? he was hardcore. He hunted like you hunt. He's out, you know, an hour before the sun comes up and he's not getting out of the tree until an hour after the sun goes down. Yep. And, you know, half the time I was on a limb rather than a tree stand and my legs are... Some jackass would come by with a five-gallon bucket and sit down at the base of your tree. I mean, it was just all this stress about different, you know. So there, there are real benefits to taking advantage. Either get some land or do a nice paid hunt. You get people to scout for you and... You know, it's, it's, uh, otherwise I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know out out, out West. It's a hard parallel because I feel like I'd like to speak the truth about stuff, but I feel like, you know, some of the public hunting stuff 
is a little bit skewed because one, I know some people a hundred percent that are making out that they're hunting public land and they are not like, I know, because I know, you know, it's just like, Oh really? You're going to play that off? You know, whatever. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to like call people out, but it's also like, there's people watching this that are banking it on it. Right. But there's also like, there's also like parties of people that are hunting public land and doing really well. Right. But here's the thing. If, you know, around here, there's several different pull-ins for public land. Okay. If I, if I, there's, and there's one not far from, from me. Right. Right. If I, if I were hunting public land and I pulled in there and, you know, well, if I go to a lake and, and I pull up to a boat launch and there's freaking a hundred people parked in the spots and they're, I'm just like, I'll go to a different launch. Right. When mass groups are moving into like hunt a public area zone, they're going to be successful because there's freaking 10 dudes that are hunting as a group. Right. Right. And other, it's not like they're having a bunch of contestment, you know, they're working together. They're working together and like coming in and dominating an area because of numbers. So yeah, it just gets one of those things where like if you or I were hunting together and we went out West and we went out or honestly where you're talking in Wisconsin is a perfect example, right? Because I, I went up there hunting and then realized, Oh damn, there's like, whole construction crews that come up here every year they take their five days off and like there's 40 dudes that roll up here and everybody's got 10 cases of beer and (laughs) this is a freaking party zone i'm out i'm going to freaking western wisconsin and yeah every year they kill a good buck and but you know what it's like no one else is coming in because they've just like overtook the public land right they've like no one else like you're not going to go in there and compete with 15 or 20 dudes that yeah. are that are like doing their drives you can't or and there's they've already mapped out where they're all going and then if some person comes in the middle you're kind of bouncing around between them and they're just like what's up dude you know and then you just feel like i'm not dicking around with this I'm that's gonna... just it it was really not that fun anymore because one you were stressed about who's showing up and there's always some asshole that's that you know shows up that isn't necessarily safe so for me that was sort of always uh, uh, on my wish list dream whatever you want to say is to have just a nice little chunk where i could go with my kids where i know it's going to be safe yeah you know you know what it's like in wisconsin during gun season it sounds like the there's a damn war going on Mm -hmm. well we're good you know i i know if they stay on the west side of the property they're they're going to be fine they're going to be good so um yeah, it's it's been it's been fantastic. I tell people all the time, like you you really should put a value on your time, and like you know, even if there's something where it's like this might not be affordable, but you also need like if you're gonna if you're gonna go out west and do a DIY public hunt, and it's gonna take you four to five trips out there before figure you're it out. actually gonna. You know, it's not about having success. It's about having opportunity. Right. Because in my opinion, like opportunity is what 
what breeds knowledge. Right. You know, you learn from mistakes and you learn from success. But if you don't have an opportunity, you're not going to have either one of those things. So at some point, you have to put a value of, okay, I might have to, honestly, for me, I never, I didn't drink till I was 27 years old. So like, I didn't go to bars, I didn't party, I didn't drink. So guess what? Like every freaking penny I had was just, you know, budgeted for the hunt, 50 bucks a week put into a freaking little account yeah that was my hunting account 50 bucks a week and that's the big tension for you know i'm really lucky where i have the ability to you know bounce around a little bit and have some time um but But you also didn't hunt till you were 40 bro yeah i mean i hunted a lot as a kid but like to the extent (laughs) that i'm doing now with with the bow and but you know i have a day job and and it it takes a lot of time and energy and and i got to make sure my clients are taken care of and if i can't if i've got a project that's due that weekend i'm not going hunting that weekend. that's just the way i'm wired and and for some of these hunts where out west i just wouldn't have the time to get appropriate opportunities you know so must be nice yeah yeah it's nice (laughs) it's nice but you get Thankfully, after though. I, I wouldn't be Truthfully. able to. I wouldn't be able to do it with my limited time unless I had to throw a, a few dollars at it. I just. Yeah. I don't think I would be able to do it. But you also put. You put an incredible amount of time. Like you. You call me at times where I'm like, dude. Why are you working right now? <laughs> why are you working right now? And you're just like, it's it's cool. Like. Uh, you know, yeah, I need to, I need to do it. Right. You know, and and it really is what separates people is like people that put in extra effort, like extra credit. I don't know if extra credit has ever not been rewarded to me in life. Oh, like at some point it's like, and honestly, I was always the person mainly because I was borderline ineligible in grades, but I was always like, Hey, is there any extra credit? And they'd be like, uh, yeah, you could do a paper on blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, hey, is there extra credit? And then, honestly, when I was, you know, working for people hourly, hey, is, is there, you know, is there something else I could do? Or, you know, is there a way I could, like, do something else in the meantime and, you know, try to learn something different? Yeah. Or, and it, it just seems like that never goes unanswered. No, it's, it, it, and you, you try to teach the kids work hard to play hard mm-hmm. and we we try to really live that we work really hard we work mm-hmm. crazy hours we work all-nighters on occasion but i want to make sure my clients taken care of so they call me back it's a it's a really big deal to me i, I always say i'm not the smartest lawyer in the world but i'm pretty sure they're not going to outwork me yeah i have no worries digging in if we've got to do this for a week we'll do it for a week. I still want to see like, I want to see angry Andy in action. <laughs> see the, wanna, angry Andy. I, I want to see that freaking Andy, angry animal. Andy comes out, <laughs> but he's most effective if he doesn't come out too often. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a hundred percent true. It's a hundred percent true. And I know, like I know deep down, yeah, he's going to be passionate. And like, if the time came, like he's, he's gonna, he's going to stand his ground. But what's funny is we've never, like, I've we've never seen each other in that capacity. No. So it would kind of, um, I don't know, it would probably be like if all of a sudden you saw me going to, like, full competitive mode. 
Right. You know, whereas you'd just be like, whoa, dude, you're normally Johnny the, you know, surfer, archer, you know, go with the flow, bro. Right. You know, you're not freaking intense. And, and that I try to actually project that to a certain extent. Calmness um, it lets you listen better. Yeah. It, it lets oh, you yeah. strategize more. When it's game time, it's game time, you know. <laughs> but I'm also, what's really great about my job is I'm not a litigator. So I'm not, a, if I'm in a courtroom, there's a real problem. You know, I'm more <laughs> of a strategy player. And, but I've got really super talented litigators on my side. And I love stirring the pot <laughs> and then you know it sounds wh- like an awesome place to sit it is and then when it's time i've got a whole office full of really really great litigators that are that that do outstanding work and it's fun it works yeah. out really really well it works yeah. out really really well yeah it's cool it's cool that it's in a way a game it's strategy (laughs) yeah it's strategy it's putting a plan in place it's not moving too fast yeah you know that's the thing it's a hunt that's where my yeah that's where my archery suffers i tend to want to go too fast (laughs) i want to slow down slow your roll slow your roll but you know in business it's the same way you have to be strategic and put those building blocks in place and sometimes it's frustrating because you think it takes just a little bit too slow but it's usually the better plan. Right? Yeah, you're laying the solid foundation to yeah. dig, dig the freaking heels in when you're ready to, you know. Right. I mean, think about on. your last elk hunt, right? My guess is there is a lot of slow, a lot of slow, a lot of slow. Mm-hmm. And then when it goes, it it's hyperdrive. Yeah. And, it, 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 you know, my career's like that, too. That's cool. That's cool. Well, dude, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. We, we got to get out of here. Done. We got to go shoot. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> do right. it. Thanks Knock for having on us everybody. Down. Be sure to check out knockonarchery.com for our full line of custom designed products, as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot at your best. 